coast to coast, border to border, and around the world. It's time for The Bill Alexander Show. The Bill Alexander Show is a guest-driven program where the topics are diverse and entertaining. Laugh and learn while you listen to one of the best hours of online radio. Now, here's your host, Bill Alexander. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this edition of The Bill Alexander Show with yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill. Looking forward to the program today because we're going to be talking about an organization that helps get kids back on their feet who have been in a homeless situation and in situations where you really don't want to be. The name of the organization is called The Doors of Change. And right now, talking uh, to me right now, not only do I have the guy that started it all, Jeffrey Sitkoff, but also I have a young lady who is also working with him by the name of Joanne Newgard. Joanne, Jeffrey, how are you doing today? Doing great, Bill. Thanks for having us, Bill. So glad to have you on. Now, Jeffrey, I was really looking forward to having you on today because I found something out that actually intrigued me. You actually have an Australian shepherd named Mike, correct? That's correct. I, I did. No longer, but I did. Oh, I'm sad to hear that. I have one now that I got three weeks ago who's four months old by the name of Riley. Uh-huh. And he is a bundle of energy. And when I saw that, I'm going, okay, there's a connection here. Yeah. <laughs> They're great dogs. So tell me a little bit about the organization and what you guys do. Doors of Change, Bill, has uh, started in 2001 to get homeless youth off the streets. And it's been an amazing over 20 year journey now of taking these youth, getting them off the streets, having building trust quickly with them. And once they trust you, they ask for help. They will not ask for help unless they trust you. And just from doing that, we've helped over 10,000 youth, but 2,300 of them have actually gotten off the streets and to save housing. That is just amazing. Now, how did you get started doing this? I'm a physical therapist by profession. I had a spinal cord injury 22 years ago. That's allowed me to, you know, I couldn't do my profession after 18 years of practicing physical therapy and did a lot of soul searching and just decided I want to help youth. And I spent one night on outreach uh, 22 years ago. And that outreach experience of finding homeless kids, how they approached them, how the kids responded, it literally blew my mind. And I, I said, I've got to help these youth make better choices for themselves. And that was over over 20 years ago. So jo- Joanne, what do you do with the organization? Uh, Bill, I am the program director, <clears throat> excuse me. So my responsibilities include um, creating a safe space when our program is in, is in um, works, um, our music and art program. I'm in charge of hiring the staff and the uh, volunteers as well as a security guard, and also um, managing the dinners, the snacks, the inventory of toiletries, clothing, shoes, um, many, many things, actually. Um, and of course, just making sure that the environment in the space is, again, safe and, and supportive for these young people. So at one given time, how many kids do you have in your facility? At, at the peak, right before COVID, Bill, we had as many as 40 homeless youth. And these youth are, we, we refer to them as Tay transitional age youth, ages 17 to 25. And what made you want to get involved with the organization, Joanne? Well, I've always, always had a big place, a big heart for young people. I'm a mom of two grown uh, children now, and our home was always the place where people would come in high school. 
um, to to eat Sunday dinners and to just feel you know part of a supportive family. So I've always had our open door policy, and I just knew at some point in life that I would come back to that. And in finding doors of change has just been a real blessing for me, just a real natural fit, I believe. So with with everything going on, I know the last two years have probably been very difficult um, dealing with these with these individuals. But what type of youth or what would their background be that would make them come to your doors? So people, the number one thing that I've gotten in 20 years is why are these kids homeless? Why? You know, they're young kids. Why are they homeless? The reason is they come from such dysfunctional families, Bill. It's safer for many of them to be on the streets than in their homes. Okay. Their parents, you know, abuse them sexually, physically, verbally. Uh, they, um, parents are drug addicts or alcoholics, about 40% nationally of the youth that are on the streets are LGBTQ youth. Ours is over 60%. And so just because they're gay, they get thrown on the streets. So these kids that are in these situations, a lot of it is not because of them. It's because of the environment they're from. Correct. And I think. I think as Jeffrey alluded to, Bill, these are not um, kids that are coming from two family, uh, two parent supportive homes. Most of these kids have come from single parent homes. Um, a lot of our kids are not local from California. They, they come from the Midwest, they come from the East Coast um, and they travel to California uh, primarily for the weather. Um, it's more conducive to a homeless lifestyle. And again, they are truly um, usually running from something, whether it be uh, poor home situations. Um, A lot of these kids have learning disabilities. They've sort of gotten lost in our public schools. A lot of them can't read. They haven't graduated from high school. Um, They're aged out of foster care. So I just, I mean, oftentimes I see them as just lost kids. And even though they're young adults, they're very much still of a kid of a childlike mindset because they just haven't had the support and good guidance that we all provide our children. And the problem is once they get on the streets, it's extremely to get off the streets because they don't trust anybody. Right. They've been taking advantage of everybody. And so they don't trust anybody and they don't have anybody to go to help them. And so that's why they're they're on the streets and they continue to stay on the streets. So when you when you look at this and, and you look at these kids, what are the stories that that break your hearts? Because it sounds to me like everybody you're dealing with they have a story that would pull at your heartstrings mm-hmm. to make you want to do this. But yet going back day in and day out, that has to be a very stressful and a very high burnout for the people that are working with these kids, because it would seem like you're never accomplishing anything because every time one is a success story, there's always three more coming in behind them that, mm-hmm. that, 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 that aren't in that situation. So what makes you guys keep moving forward? Well, I think, I think Bill, to be in this profession, to be in this um, career choice, um, to serve and support these young people, you cannot be in a numbers game because you're going to you're going to be disappointed. Right. And um, as many kids that come through that we help, there's many that we, we that that have st- are still on the streets. So it's not about numbers; it's about giving that individual the opportunity to have choices, the opportunity to make better decisions, the opportunity to know that people care and support them, and that they can trust adults. So to me, I don't ever keep score, um, but what I do is every person that walks in our program or every person we meet during outreach, I'm so hopeful for them because there's still time. And I, I'm, I'm very, very hopeful. And I think that hope transcends so that they believe in themselves that they can make better choices. And you know, you get up the next morning, you do it again. Yeah. 
And, and they're, they're tremendous success stories. I never know when I meet a kid, they sound good, like they're going to succeed, but it's what their actions are. Are they, are they willing to do something to help themselves? And so when you do see that, that you have many success stories, which we've had, those are what I focus on as the success stories. Because I know that there's other kids that'll also do that as long as they're given opportunity, they trust us and they're, they're going to succeed. And so that's, that's what we, that's what I, I've never been burnt out over 20 years because I focus on the success of, of the, of the people. And then I can give you some examples of those success stories. So what age groups do you work with primarily? 17 to 25. Okay. We refer to them as TAY, transitional age youth, aged out of foster care. Um, and that, that group for our, we've, Jeffrey realized years and years ago that this was a, a group that was really overlooked. There's a lot of services for veterans, for pregnant women, for families. Um, so low budget families, financial services, but there were not services for that transitional age youth group. So Jeffrey was quick to realize that and started this 20 years ago to help these young adults so that they don't end up as that chronic homeless person we see on the streets. Now, what I think is interesting, because years ago, and this was 25, 26 years ago, I did a brief stint and I was working um, for a foster agency. I was doing PR and marketing and getting foster parents. And it was very difficult to find people that understood how to deal with these kids, especially ones that had the special needs that you mentioned, mm -hmm. that were dealing with, with emotional, mental, psychological, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And they age out of the system, and now you get them. Now, I take it you don't get them immediately, immediately after they leave the foster care system. I'm sure there's some time in between. That time in between, how does that affect these kids to come to you guys to say, hey, okay, I, I trust you now. What can you do or what can I do to help myself and are you able to help me? We have a very low percentage of ex-foster kids that we work okay. with. There are some, but most of our kids are street kids. They didn't even qualify for the foster system before they were 18. So because of that, they can't get services. So these are just kids that have been on the street. Some of these kids have been on the street since they're 12 years old. So where do you see the issue at that we have kids on the street 12 years old? Where's the ball being dropped? Because, I mean, I'm sure it's local government, local children, youth agencies, and all this. Is there just not enough manpower to keep track of these kids? Or are there just so many of them that, like you said, they're getting lost in the system? I think it's a combination of things, Bill. I think I think it's harder now than it ever was because the world is higher, harder. Uh, let's take mental illness right now. Since COVID, the mental illness has quadrupled. As a nation, we're suffering more of mental illness. Um, the isolation that happened due to COVID caused these kids to have spiked um, emotions and and more mental illness than ever before. They're, again, they're coming from usually single parent homes where that parent is struggling with their own challenges, whether it be addictions. Um, um, or mental illness or financial troubles. So, so they don't have the foundation that we, we all hope to give our kids to start with. Okay, that's the first thing. And you say, how does a 12-year-old become homeless? You know, where, who dropped the ball? Well, part of it is just our priorities as a country. We, we have social workers and case managers that serve these people. They are overworked and underpaid. We don't make it a priority. So they have such a caseload that they just can't keep track of all of these young people and they can't do it justice what we really need to do. We don't make it a priority. Until we do, we're gonna always be having homeless kids on the streets because they just get lost. And our public schools, at least in California, shame on them. I mean, the fact that kids graduate without reading, that says a lot. Mm -hmm. 
So we're, we're a bit of a mess. And as a nation, we need to, to identify the mental illness first and to, to be supportive and pay these social workers, case managers, psychiatrists, good money so that they have good quality people and not have 400 clients for one case manager. So we really need to do a lot of different things. Um, but in the meantime, we're there as a safety net um, to support all of these, these kids that fall off or fall out or fall, you know, fall in between the cracks. So the facility that you have to house them in, how big is it? Well, we, we don't have don't, a housing. Yeah. <clears throat> Go ahead, Jeffrey. We don't have a housing. We did okay. it for four years, but it's so expensive to have your own housing. It was $40,000 per youth. Oh, wow. That's a lot of money. And we could we said, listen, we can do it better by our music and art program where we find partners in the, in the, in the community uh, and then let the partners take the kids that have housing. And we actually had record number of kids we placed in housing in the last two years by doing that. So it was a lot more cost effective than they have them, you know, unless you have a lot of uh, rooms, it's not cost effective. When you have only a house, you can only have six youth in a, in a house in California. That's it. So that's not very cost effective. So who are some of the partners you're working with then? We have about 30 partners we work with um, country, uh, countywide. Um, Urban Street Angels is a great program. Um, they, they have a housing program. We work with McAllister, which has a great mental health program. We work with the county, North County Behavioral will um, do assessments of young people. And if they qualify because of mental illness, they'll be put top on the list for shelter and housing as it should be. Let's get the mentally ill um, supported first. So we, I mean, the list goes on, honestly, Bill. We, we've made a real effort um, in these last two years of COVID to really align ourselves with some really good supportive partners because it does take a community. We also work with um, California Conservation Corps. It's a great opportunity for these kids um, who aren't typically college bound. Um, again, some of them haven't um, graduated high school. So the CCC is a great program. Job Corps is another um, company we work with. So it takes a lot to make this all happen. And it's not always just about housing. These kids sometimes are not ready to get off the streets. So you need to meet them where they're at. And what that means is address their issues first, their mental illness, their self-esteem. Support that. And guess what? They'll figure out how to get off the streets in, in okay. housing. So we, you know, we address their needs initially. And sometimes it's shelter, but most times it's the mental illness that needs to be addressed first. So with the mental illness, um, do you bring professionals to them or bring them to the professionals? How do they get, do they get medication? How do they get all this stuff to help them become a little bit more of an even keel so they can start looking to go out to start moving off the streets? Well, it starts with the assessment from our case manager, Nicole McDonald. She's amazing. She's, she's um, highly skilled. She'll take the, do, do the intake, it's called an assessment. And based on the mental illness intake, um, we will find the right match for them, whether it be one of these programs that I just listed, McAllister, for example. And then we will, we will actually drive the youth to that person. Um, they will do their own intake and to, to, be, to see if they qualify for the program. But also for most of our kids who are not going to be... Um, they're not going to be suited for a program per se. We do telehealth and Jeffrey can talk about our program. Yes. Program, which we started about two years ago, I guess, Jeffrey, why did you talk about that? So we had a 110% spike in mental health referrals during COVID. We okay. more than doubled. And so uh, we said, we got to do something about this. So we started this program called yes, youth emotional support team where when a kid comes to us, and by the way, when I started this 20 years ago, Bill, no kids would ask us for mental health help. They didn't even want to you know, go there. Now they're coming and say, I need help. Please help me. 
And so we give them uh, a mental health provider, whether it's a psychologist, psychiatrist, MFCC, MSW, um, we get them the phones so they can actually telehealth or sometimes a, a laptop for, okay. uh, for that. And then they start doing appointments with the, with the specialist to be able to work on whatever they need to. And especially get if they need to have medication, they get them the proper medications. And that's, you know, that's all you can do is, is get them there. You lead them there. You can't make them, you know, take it, but we suggest it. Mm -hmm. So, um, so how do the kids find out about you? We, we make a tremendous effort in doing outreach. Um, we've been doing outreach for um, 20 years now. So we we're really expert at it, Bill. And what that means is we, we go around in pairs, myself and a volunteer, Jeffrey and volunteers, and we go all throughout the county three or four days a week. Uh, and we actually post flyers. Our flyers um, are very colorful, they're eye-catching, and they're descriptive, descriptive of what services we provide. So when a young person sees the flyer, it's very easy for them to contact our case manager. We have a gate case manager that's very dedicated and her phone's on 24-7, which is critical when you're homeless, so you don't have weekends off. Um, and so they were able to contact the um, case manager. Now, it's interesting, even if a lot of these young people don't have phones, uh, it's interesting how they can somehow figure out Facebook. Um, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's crazy. We get so many referrals from Facebook. They'll email her and our case manager. We have a Facebook page, obviously. And, you know, can you please help me? And here they don't even have a phone, but we, we figure out how to meet with them and to be able to support them and what their what their first step is and just self-sufficiency and independence. So it's a lot of outreach. It's also um, a lot of partnering. Uh, we partner with all of the agencies I mentioned to, so that when they have transitional age youth, for example, Father Joe's here in San Diego, when they have that age group, 70 to 25, they'll give us a call to help support that group. Um, so it, it's just a lot of word of mouth and a lot of just being there and also delivering. You know, if, since we do what we say we're going to do, word gets around. Yeah. And so it's also reputation and consistency and commitment that is, is given us, you know, all of these young people coming to us. Yeah. And the youth, by the way, tell each other about it. So we had our music program. Uh, we haven't had it for two years because of COVID, but for years we've had the music program and they can earn instruments of their choice or art supplies. So they see a violin. Where'd you get the violin? From Doors of Change. What's Doors of Change? They tell them, they go, can I have one? And so that was one way of, you know, the youth telling other youth is a big way. So with you doing this for the, la the past 20 years, soon to be 21 years, what differences or what changes have you seen um, from when you started this to what's happening now? That's a great question, Bill. Well, the, the number one thing is that people now know there's homeless youth. When I started this 20 years ago, no one knew there were homeless youth. They were hidden. You never saw these kids. The people had no idea that that kid over there was hit, was, was homeless because they looked like a normal kid. So that's the number thing. One thing is that we've gotten so much publicity in the newspaper and the radio and, you know, our concerts and all the different things we do, the people start knowing there are homeless kids there. Now they're starting to realize the severity of it. Okay. So that's the number one thing I saw is that there people had no idea 20 years ago that there was homeless kids. Now, most people know they're homeless youth. They just don't know the severity of it. So I've been noticing and please give your address for your website. Sure. Doorsofchange.org. Doors is plural. Doorsofchange.org. 
And I've noticed on the website that you've been doing a lot of, um, I guess, auction type things or buying things. And there's been a lot of signed guitars, which I saw earlier today that I was very impressed with. How do you get in touch with these people <laughs> to make these donations? I mean, you had, if, if I'm not mistaken, was it Edit James that signed one? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, we um, how that happened, Bill, is that when I started this 20, almost 21 years ago, I contacted many people. And the first one I really connected with was Billy Joel. Okay. And Billy Joel remembered me through my photos. I'm an award-winning photographer. And he said, I like the vision. I'll sign a, a, a keyboard for you. So he started, he signed the keyboard. Within three months, he was with, Bill, with, with Elton John. They toured together. And Elton John said, I, I wouldn't mind signing that. So actually, then Elton John signed a keyboard for us. And when you have the two of them signing and backing your organization, other, other musicians started trusting us a lot quicker because it's very hard to trust today with anything, you know? And musicians get hit up by a lot of people. So because of that, the Rolling Stones, Carlos Santana, James Taylor, B.B. King, Etta James, you know, Aretha Franklin and many, many, many others, Joe Cocker, Steve Winwood, et cetera, have all helped us, you know, sign things so we could raise money to get kids off the streets. And that and is amazing. Way, it's on the website. People can go. And before our, our, our concert on July, on June 30th, we have things for sale right now. If they're not sold, they're going to an auction uh, on June 30th with our a Three Dog Night concert. And to me, that's just amazing of being able to get three dog night to perform. And uh, I know what age group you're going for, which is in my age group in that, uh, that probably 20, 25 year span before and after. So that's kind of cool to be able to do that. So after doing this, I'm sure you have some success stories of people getting themselves off the street and making their lives better than what there were. Do you have any stories to share? Yes. Um, let me show you. So, you know, of all, doing this for so long, there's one one youth that sticks out to me the most because she went from death to, you know, doing phenomenal. And she tried to commit suicide twice. She was so, um, so dark that she was all black. Her our foot was black. She had black on her face. She had, she had piercings, et cetera. And her name was Justine. And Justine didn't look at me for two months. That never happened before. I literally did not see her eyes for two months. And she looked at me the first time and said, I want to learn how to play music. And we got her in the music program. And that was the beginning. And then she came to me and said, can I go to the art program that you have? I said, because we have an expressive arts program also. So I said, sure. So from that point on, Bill, she soared. She really you could see her self-esteem start getting better. She looked a lot better. Now, this is what she looked like when she looked good, okay? You can still see she still had black clothing, but she still looked a lot better. And because of the making jewelry, she started, started to realize she could make jewelry for herself and start selling it. For about 12 to 13 years, she actually put herself through uh, City College, went to the University of uh, Santa Barbara, California uh, for, um, for four years, graduated magna cum laude, Wow. Now she's in law school. And this is what she looks like now. Because <laughs> I see her on your website and it says she was homeless for, from the age 12 to 15. So she was on the streets for three years. Actually, 12 to 16. Um, 16. Here's an example. Her mom was an alcoholic. 
her mom's boyfriend used to beat her up, drag her by her hair, and then start taking her clothes off. And when she started, he started taking her clothes off at 12, she said, I've got to leave here. And she left the house at 12. I mean, that's just that. First off, that's heartbreaking that 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 would happen to someone that young and that's vulnerable. But it's fantastic to hear what they've done and how they've overcome these obstacles to go as far as they have. And I mean, right now, just just hearing what you said, going to law school. I mean, nothing can stop this kid now, which is fantastic. She's one. She's two semesters from graduating. So she's within less than a year. She'll be an attorney. She's going to be one hell of an attorney. That is fantastic. So I also see that a lot of, not a lot, but some of your kids end up getting scholarships. Do they get those with help from you or what else is going on in in the community? Because I can see where you guys would mentor them in a direction where they would know what skills they would need to be able to move on and move forward. A lot of these kids get scholarship at school. And okay. so they actually go to the school, city college in our community, would actually they'll get a, a basically free tuition through through school. So because they're homeless. So there's special you know, scholarships in California that if they're homeless, they get free education. Oh, we I also, didn't realize that. Yes, there is, Bill. And we also encourage young these young people to uh, to continue their education. Uh, completing their high school degree, of course, first. And then as, as Jeffrey mentioned, going to city or state college because education is a way to break um, the cycle of homelessness. We also um, will help them with scholarships because many of these young people will volunteer in the program. So they will be mentors for other homeless youth. So we'll write letters, character letters. Um, they'll, do, they'll do volunteer work. They'll, they'll help support the program. And, and, and colleges always like to see that effort. So it's, it's a, a community um, you know, support to have these children young people know that school could be an option for them. So Joanne, you made a comment earlier about how the education system is dropping the ball, how they're doing mm-hmm. a disservice. Mm-hmm. What do you think the education system needs to be doing more? I mean, I know reading is a big part of it, but mm-hmm. should they start preparing kids younger for a career path and not do what they've done. So this way, the kids, if they do unfortunately get into a situation, they can actually have skills that are going to be viable out there in the workforce. Well, I think it's, it, there's, there's a lot, that's a great question, but there's a lot to it. And, um, you know, I'm all about public schools. I love public schools, but I had two kids to go through who went through public schools and I would never do it again. Um, it's just lacking. Their classroom size is way too big. The teachers um, are underpaid. There, there's tenure, which they can stay even if they're not good teachers. Um, so it's in, and there's there, the um, quality of the teaching really is um, lacking. Again, maybe because they have 35 kids. I don't know the reasons why, but there's been so many kids that have come to us that, that truly, um, I remember a young man who was squinting all the time he was at the, our program. And I, and I said, you know, do you have a eye problem? He went through he went through six or seven years of public school and no one could tell that he couldn't even read the blackboard because his eyes were so poor. And again, you expect that to happen at home. Right. But his his parents honestly were not supportive. Single mom, not I have anything against single moms, but um, and he, he could have his whole life could have been different if he had just gone to the eye doctor and had. Um, so we went and got him glasses. And he he came into the program. He could not believe it. it's like it, it was unbelievable. So there's so many things that we miss. Um, 
And it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. We, we, you know, we're here in California, this beautiful um, state, and our schools really are not great. I don't know what it's like in the East Coast, um, certainly, but so we need to make education a priority. That's the first thing. Pay your teachers, get rid of tenure. If they don't perform, hire new teachers. That's number one. And number two, don't have classrooms that are 35, 40 kids where you can't, you can't have that mentorship and keep an eye on the people. And also try to coordinate with the families at home. And if there's issues at home, you need to step up and, and report things because a lot of these things teachers overlook because they, they don't have the resources to help at home. Um, they don't want to get in trouble. Right. I understand that. So it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot to be done. Um, but we see the we other side of that because we see these kids that, you know, um, are disadvantaged from those upbringings and from the schools. So do you think there needs to be some type of because I've said this for years, I have to have a license to own a dog, but yet I don't have to have any training to have children, which mm. makes no sense whatsoever. Do you feel that, and I know a lot of people will get on my back for saying that, but do you feel that that parents should have some type of education programs in their communities just to give them the understanding, this is what you're going to deal with. It's not like you have the kid, you enjoy it for a few years, and then you go, here, this is what, mm. I mean, you don't just get rid of it. I mean, it's a lifelong, a lifelong commitment, especially at least up to the age of 18, which we assume they become adults, which we all know the reality of that. They don't, but still, um, how do you think that the rest of the community should get involved to work with these people? That's another big question. Um, truthfully, we have a lot of young, young homeless females right now that are pregnant and it, that just is so alarming. Um, and, and that's scary. And truthfully, it's it's such a pattern. It's a cycle. Usually, they're from their parents. Their moms were pregnant, unwed. So it you know history repeats itself. I think one of the things that could help, and is that we, you know, trying to educate young people to have be parents. Yes, maybe we should teach that in high school. Maybe we should have some courses. But I think we need to do really better about our birth control. We really need to get that out there. We need to have it accessible to everyone. Uh, we need to put aside our moral beliefs about that and just be mindful and responsible for, um, you know, procreating um, in this world where people are going to be so mistreated. So we need to we need to work on that. That's number one. And certainly um, education in high school. But oftentimes these kids are getting pregnant just because they're just they're just they want love. They figure if they have a baby that the baby will love them. They'll love the right. baby. So it's, it's, it's more than education. You, you've got to really fix their home situation first. Um, and, and again, breaking cycles of addictions and again, mental illness. I mean, it's, it's a whole, it's a lot of work. One thing I was going to say too, Bill, is that, you know, to, to bring back art and music in the schools, to bring back even sports, because those things give students, they start feeling better about themselves. They start mastering things. They start learning how to be persistent and consistent, you know, delayed gratification. The principles that they're going to be successful in life, if they do them while they're in high school, it's going to make them be better person and they're going to feel better about themselves. I think it's definitely worth bringing those, um, those things back because when we have our art program, you can see the difference in these youth in a very quick period of them feeling better about themselves just from mastering a, a violin, you know, a chord on the violin or the ukulele or the mandolin or doing art and making something beautiful. They start feeling better about themselves and that, that really makes a big difference to someone. And that, and I agree with you 110% with that because we've seen what has happened to these programs that these kids have no connection anymore because it's all about a test. It's all about, it's all about 
making everybody else look good, but not working to make them better individuals. And with the music, the arts and everything you mentioned, that is very true. So before I let you guys go, which again, this is wonderful to hear about. Tell me more about this concert that's happening in June. Sure. Well, firstly, before the concert, if you are touched by what we're saying, if something moves you by this conversation and you didn't realize about the homeless youth issue, because there's three and a half million homeless youth in America today. A lot That's of amazing. in the whole country, not just in San Diego, it's everywhere. So if you're touched, make a donation at Doors of Change. We are now in actually in 14 different, actually 13 different states, because virtually now, remotely, we're helping kids in different areas. They ask us for things and Nicole McDonald, our wonderful case manager, will help them get different things in different states, safe housing, safe place to leave their car at night, all these different places. Uh, and that's something. So just make a donation. And one other thing before the concert is fantastic. Some of you that are in Southern California or anybody that wants to come to San Diego at the end of June, come to the concert of hope with the three dog night. It's a way you could take a stand. It's a concert with purpose. We'll have a homeless youth, ex homeless youth actually talk at the event, who's amazing. She was homeless. Now she's an attorney and she was Ms. Universe last year. Oh, wow. African-American, amazing woman. And she is phenomenal. She's an example, role models of what's possible for other homeless kids. So we have a thing that say, you know, I don't have a lot of money, but I want to help you. Right. We have a thing called the Angel Team. We trademarked the name Angel Team. The California Angels gave us the okay to do it. We're the only ones they've ever done it for because it had to do with homeless kids. So for $11 a month, $132 a year, you can be on our angel team and get, you know, auto pay $11 a month or, or more. And, right. and it will help us because we have a thousand people doing that bill. It's going to make a difference. We'll be able to feed a lot more kids, get a lot more kids off the, the streets. Well, guys, thank you very much for joining me today. This this organization, everything you're doing is just wonderful. I wish you the best of luck. And now hearing about you working in other states, that's really impressive that that people are finding you. I hate to say that there's a need for it, but yeah. it's great that they have found you. And again, I wish you both the best of luck. And thank you very much for joining me today. Thank, thank you, Bill. Bill. Doorsofchange.org. Sounds thank great. Thank you very much. Appreciate thank it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, a big thank you goes out to uh, Jeffrey Sitkov and Joanne Newgard for joining me today. It was a pleasure talking to them about a situation that we're dealing with in the United States and probably in other countries, too, dealing with homeless youth. It's, a, it's an awful situation, but we have to deal with it. And thank you to Jeffrey's organization, The Doors of Change. For more information, go to doorsofchange.org. Everybody, you have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you next time here on The Bill Alexander Show. Thank you for listening to The Bill Alexander Show. The Bill Alexander Show is a million-dollar baby production. For more information, go to thebillalexandershow.com. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. 
Switch to Metro by T-Mobile and save more. Get the new iPhone SE now with 5G at the lowest price in prepaid. Just $99.99. I post a lot. And thanks to the iPhone SE with 5G and advanced 4K camera, I'm snapping and sharing while my followers are smashing the like button. Switch and get the iPhone SE for just $99.99. Only at Metro. Save more versus national prepaid brands. Limited time offer. In-store only. Price for 64GB model with eligible port. $60 plan and ID. See 5G device coverage and access details at Metro by T-Mobile.com.